Okay, so the topic for today is meditation. What is it? Why do I want it? And how do I get it? So let's look at the history. We know from the Pali Canon, which is, is the, the literature that describes the life of Buddha, that he was teaching meditation in you know, something like 600 BC. There are statues in India of people seemingly meditating that are 3,000 years old. So this is an ancient practice. Nowadays, meditation is viewed as something to do with mindfulness. And for newcomers to both, it's very often the case that they've managed to confuse the two in their mind. But from the perspective of mindfulness, meditation is the training. Mindfulness is the experience. So largely, I teach meditation from the perspective of mindfulness meditation. But I also teach gratitude meditation and compassion meditation and a whole bundle of other sorts of insight meditation. But largely the focus on these, these eight sessions will be on mindfulness meditation. And what mindfulness is, is the undistracted awareness of the experience of the present moment. I'll, for those of you that have never encountered it, I'll introduce you to it a little bit later on. That's what meditation gives us that the majority of people want. So they want this experience of mindfulness, the undistracted awareness of the experience of the present moment. And why would you want that? I've been running courses for getting on for five years in Bromley now. 600 people gone through the courses, and I think I've taught 5,000 people all in all at various different events. And there are three things people want and three things people don't want that they usually associate with why they're meditating. And this is not everyone, but this is the most common. People want less stress, worry and anxiety and more focus, calmness and relaxation. Those are the things that keep coming out whenever I do a survey of my students. So there's things we want and there's things we don't want. And the things we don't want are part of modern life Stress, worry and anxiety is what I refer to as the modern mind. Um, I mean, stress is actually the body, but the mind and the body are, to all intents and purposes, indivisible. What happens in the mind is reflected in the body. What happens in the body becomes reflected in the mind. Usually when people start meditating, it's because they want one of those things, or they, there are certain things they don't want. So there's a purpose to it in your mind before you even start. And then nowadays there are more people who come along out of sheer curiosity, which is a wonderful thing. So there, there you have this ancient practice of meditation. What it does is it enables you to train yourself to be present. Presence and mindfulness are the same thing. I prefer to use the word present present because it's more indicative of the experience and that's the experience of the sensory present moment it's like a little bubble that follows you around 
it's the extent of your senses, what you can see, smell, touch, taste, hear. Yeah. So you're sitting here, the bubble goes for several miles if you can hear an airplane. And what you can see is probably in this room and in the park. And whatever you're worrying about, whatever stressed you out, and whatever's made you anxious, isn't in here. So this is the key thing. So if you can bring yourself fully into the present moment, what is there to fear? What is there to be anxious about? Where's the stress? What we're doing by developing mindfulness is the awareness of a present moment, which for most people, for most of the time, is overwhelmingly good if you look at it as a sensory experience of now. It's only when you drag your life situation in that it can become imposing. So that's kind of the history of meditation, the relationship to mindfulness. Meditation is the training for mindfulness. Why would you want it? You, you want it mindfulness because it, it's the present moment and it's, there's a big element of what it isn't. So what it is, is the sensory experience of now and what it isn't is all of the baggage that stresses us out. So that's what is it, why would I want it? And that brings us to how do I get it? So here's, here's show of hands time. Don't be shy. Hands up everybody in the room who's meditated at some point or another. And that's right, very good. Okay, hands up anybody who has a regular meditation practice. That number's on average, that's 5%. So if I, uh, if I go into, you notice it's more than 5%, it's about 20 or 30%. And that's because I've got a lot of regular students here who've built up regular meditation practices. But if I go to an organisation, or I'm, I'm teaching a large group, now I get... About 60% of their people put their hands up and say, yeah, yeah, I've tried meditation. And about 5%, less than 10%, have a regular meditation practice. So the thing is, meditation is the easiest thing in the world. But doing it is different. It becomes difficult. Okay. And there's a whole load of reasons for that. And... I'm to blame for some of them because for most of the time I've been teaching meditation, I've been teaching it in what I call the traditional way. Not rigorously, but definitely with, with the perception that it's something you just need to somehow fit into your day. So what does the modern mind do when it's, when it's presented with something like meditation? Okay, so this is what our lives look like. We've got this stuff to do and we've got this time to do it and we've got this money to do it with. And the money and time is never enough to do the stuff. And we know that there's things, these things that are good for us and, and we want to be able to do them. And somehow or another we need to be able to fit them in. So we live in a, we live in a world of time slots, priorities and tasks. Whether, you know, you're like a full-out work warrior that works seven days a week or, or whether you're just living a life 
um, and you know you're a, a person of means with little need to work or you've retired or anything like that it wouldn't take you very long to fill your life up with things to do and there's a limiting factor in terms of time and then the other limiting factor is is the what we call willpower and a reason for that is because out here externally if I want to achieve anything out there it has to be a goal-oriented willpower based activity so you know career study family relationships you know I, I, I've got to go and meet my family at Christmas I know they're miles away so I've got to figure out how I'm gonna do it I've got to find the time um, you know and, and all of these things we, we apply willpower and we, we set ourselves goals I'm gonna do this I'm gonna achieve that here's a goal you know I'm gonna do my 15 minutes meditation every day and all of this kind of stuff and when that slips and the meditation teacher says oh don't worry but you know I'm actually no less stressed than I was when I started so maybe it's not working for me maybe it's no good for me etc etc and so we get into this quagmire internally the mind works by a set of different rules so the example that I use is let's say you want to get to sleep because you've got to get up early in the morning All right. so let's say you normally go to bed at 11 and you've got a flight at 7.30 in Gatwick so you want to be up at 4 so what do you do? you go to bed early to get a good night's sleep right? so you go to bed at 9 and then what happens is you don't get any sleep and you get to the time when you normally go to sleep and you're still awake the more important it is that you get up the busier the mind becomes and the less chance there is to get to sleep and then the amount of time you've got to sleep diminishes and diminishes and diminishes and the mind gets busier and busier and busier. And you get to this point where you think halfway through the night you've got like about two and a half hours left to sleep and you know it's not good enough. You think, hell with that, I'll stay awake. Out like a light. Right. That's, not everybody experiences that. There's kind of 10, 15% of people can sleep anywhere and often do. But for the rest of us, that's part of our experience. And if you don't experience that, you experience the, the, a part of the mind that works against you in other ways. This is what we call the monkey mind. Yeah. And when you're pushing yourself, like pushing yourself to study, pushing yourself to go to the gym and so on, procrastination is an almost universal response. Perfectionism is, is, is what the people that don't procrastinate suffer from. What it is, is the mind is pushing back. You push, the harder you push, the harder it pushes back. And often it pushes back somewhere else. Yeah? This is what the modern life looks like. is us pushing ourselves, willpower and goals, to achieve our goals. And then the mind pushes back somewhere else. And we'll like, oh, you know, just have a glass of wine and watch the TV to, to resolve the stress. And then it might come two glasses of wine. And then it might become three glasses of wine. That's just an example. You know. Not everybody, but there's an example. What happens is the mind's pushing back. It's saying, you know, if you're going to force me to do this, then I'm going to have three glasses of wine. I'm going to have a bit of cake. I'm not going to go to the gym, etc., etc. And so it all becomes this juggling process of willpower and tasks and goals and priorities. 
And when meditation becomes another one of those, it's not going to help. So you think about the trying to get to sleep scenario, it's not going to help by making it a willpower-based, goal-oriented activity. I, I need, there's a goal, I need to be asleep by nine. That's the first goal that goes in the bin. With the mind, we need to work in a completely different way. So the Eastern traditions have curated meditation for 3,000 years. And there's a, an interesting Chinese concept called Wu Wei. And what Wu Wei is, is the action of no action. Right? The mind operates in certain ways. Nature does, life does. If you understand how it works, then you can achieve your goal with no action. So if you're in a raft in Cornwall and you want to get to the west coast of Africa and you've got enough food and water for many weeks, you get there by doing nothing because the ocean current will take you there. Any paddling you do is just going to take you off course. And, it, and this is how it is with the mind. If we understand how the mind works, then we're able to experience things we don't normally experience, such as moments of mental silence. So to do meditation, to learn meditation, the best way is to not learn meditation. The best way is to do this little listening exercise. To do this listening exercise, all you need is your feet on the ground. And you can either close your eyes, or if you prefer, you can look down past the tip of your nose with your eyes half shut. And that's only so you don't get distracted. And the little listening exercise, I've got a name for it, I call it the meditation of no meditation. Very important that you keep that name. The meditation of no meditation. And what it consists of is listening. But what we're we listening for, we're listening for sound. Usually we use the modern mind to listen for sound. What we're going to do now is use the ancient mind. And to find that, all you need to do is to listen for the next sound. So whatever the sound that's there at the moment is, could be the sound of my voice, movements in the room, movements, sounds in the building, people talking outside, dogs barking, traffic, airplanes, whatever the sound is. We know there's a sound now, but what we're actually doing is waiting and listening for the next sound. 
whatever and wherever that might be. And recognize that the next sound could be anywhere. Could be in front of us, to the side of us, behind us. And we notice sounds, we notice sounds arise and subside. And, and of course the mind might be busy and there could be full of thoughts and the mind might wander and you might feel uncomfortable, you might be distracted. None of that matters because we're not trying to achieve anything. There's no goal, there's no expe expectation, there's no right or wrong way of doing this. It's just a process of listening for the next sound, whatever it is, and wherever it may arise. And there's nothing to do when there's a next sound other than wait for the next sound. So if we hear this sound, then we're waiting for this sound. And then we're waiting for this sound. Just listening. So don't, don't let your mind choose some sort of goal or expectation, because there is none. So this isn't meditation, it isn't mental training. There's nothing to expect, there's no goal. So there's no way of doing it wrong. All you're doing is listening for the next sound. Doesn't matter how busy the mind is. Doesn't matter if the mind wanders. Doesn't matter if you're distracted. Doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. 
just aware that we are surrounded by sound. And, and this is a waiting experience. We're waiting for the next sound to arise. So there's nothing to be gotten from this. Okay, so noticing your breath. When you breathe in, notice what you can smell, what you can taste, the sensation of sitting and being pushed into the ground and in your very own time, Gently return your attention to the room. Taught that often enough that I know that 95% of people find that a frictionless experience. Okay. And, and I called it the meditation of no meditation. You need to keep that name for it for a very good reason. And it has an element of meditation in it. And it also has an element of mindfulness in it. It's the experience of the present moment. And if your mind wandered, you're, you're noticing that. That's part of the present moment as well. So if you listen to the sound of the bell... What you're doing is you're listening to the sound of the bell moving through time or time moving through the sound of the bell, one or the other. Listen. Welcome to the present moment. And notice what happens to the mind. For most people, these experiences calm the mind. And they're all frictionless. So this is how we learn to meditate. What we do is we find the frictionless experiences that help to bring us to now. 
And we use that as an entry into meditation. And this is what I've been teaching for about a year since I, I went to see a great meditation teacher by the name of Mingyur Rinpoche, which is where I learned the meditation of no meditation for sound. Except he has no name for it. He refuses to name it for a very good reason. He says it's just listening. Unfortunately, you know, most of the time that I've been teaching meditation and when I listen to other meditation teachers, they teach in the traditional way. You know, you do your 15 minutes. At the end of the session today, I'll give you a little bit of homework. And um, <clears throat> so if you attend regularly, next week we'll be able to pick up on it. And, and for those of you for whom it didn't work, you'll be able to find out what the next steps are. Because really, this is about the science of habit formation, which is, is actually beginning to become a real science now, for a whole bundle of reasons. And I'll apply that in the process of teaching these sessions. So that's the first meditation of no meditation. That's the meditation of no meditation for sound. And the, the dog's barking in time to my speaking. Did you hear that? <laughs> and now I've mentioned it, it's shy. <laughs> so it's become quiet. So that's the meditation of no meditation for sound. And now I'm going to teach you another meditation of no meditation. This is what I call the meditation of no meditation for the breath. No. But it isn't actually about the breath. So who's, who's done a breath meditation in the past? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the, the most important thing is to forget all that. Unlearn all of it. Whatever you learned in the, in the breathing meditations, even the ones that I, I've taught, bin it. It's not, this isn't the same thing. This is a meditation of no meditation, which is different. And what this is, is instead of noticing a, a sound, we're noticing a movement. That's the movement of the belly right here. Just at the point where the belly meets the chest. And so if you either close your eyes or look down, that will help you to focus on that movement. So it's a tiny movement and it's always there, but we never really notice it. And you may, may even not be able to feel it. You may need to place your fingers there to notice the movement. I tend to put my fingers there because I just prefer it. And again, no goals, no expectations. It's not mental training. You're not getting anything. All you're doing is noticing the movement. Tiny movement of the belly. Rising, falling.
and all we're doing is noticing that movement. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what's happening in the mind, doesn't matter if the mind's wandering, doesn't matter if there's a constant inner dialogue, doesn't matter if there are distractions. Notice how the dog doesn't get in the way of noticing the belly moving. Just noticing the rising and falling. So don't fall into the habit of doing your meditations that you're used to doing, because this isn't a meditation. It's the meditation of no meditation. The thing that makes this a meditation of no meditation is that there are no instructions. It's just you're noticing one thing. And what happens while you're noticing that one thing is irrelevant. It's just irrelevant. So we're not trying to stay focused. We're not, where there's no, if, if our mind wanders, we do this. None of that. Mind wanders, let it wander. Mind's busy, let it chatter away. You're distracted, allow yourself to be distracted. But you're just noticing this movement. Belly rising, belly falling. Okay, so again in your very own time, gently return your attention to your surroundings. Okay, so the first practice, the meditation of no meditations for sound, that's frictionless for 95% of folk. This one is frictionless for less, and the people for whom it, it has friction are usually meditators who've trained themselves to focus on a particular sort of meditation. What we can see from that is that Meditation brings uh, some friction with it, what I call unsatisfactoriness. And the only reason there's unsatisfactoriness in meditation is because your brain has created it. So there's nothing unsatisfactory about noticing the breath or any of any meditation really. They're at the very worst, they're neutral experiences, but there is still this unsatisfactoriness. 
And so what that is, is this. The way the brain works is by associating experiences. Yeah. You see a, a Mini and you see a Rolls Royce. There are all sorts of associations arise in the mind instantly. You know, Rolls Royce, rich guy, leather seats, da 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 da, plush, luxurious experience. Mini, little car, not a, probably not a rich person, but maybe a covertly rich person trying to play down their wealth. But generally speaking, no, and no leather seats, none of that. And, you know, you nip in and out the traffic and it's useful around town. So all of that association arises straight away. And we create new associations. So if there's a new car, we'll look at it and we'll know straight away, is it a luxury car or isn't it? And if it's a luxury car, then it's associated with all the things that luxury cars are associated. If it's a little town car, it's associated with all the things little town cars are. Our brain does this instantly. So let's say you've come to learn to meditate to reduce your stress. You associate the meditation with reducing your stress. And you're instantly measuring whether your stress is being reduced by the meditation. And... You may have a busy mind, so you may want to calm your mind. And when you meditate, the first thing you notice is, is your mind's busier. Doing traditional meditation, not doing the meditation of no meditation for sound, but traditional meditation, you notice your mind's busier. And so it's an unsatisfactory association. You're sitting down, your stress hasn't been resolved, and your mind's really busy. It's not what you want. You want your mind to be calm, and still and clear like a mountain pool. But the more you want your mind to be calm and still, still and clear like a mountain pool, the less calm, still and clear it's going to be. It's the same as trying to get to sleep. The harder you try to get to sleep, the less likely you are to get to sleep. So the solution is to bin it. Bin the desire, the want, the trying. Stop trying. Replace trying in a meditation with waiting. So you notice there's no friction in waiting. Well, it, there is if you're waiting for a bus, but we're not. We're waiting for something that's part of our experience, a neutral part of our experience. We're waiting for the belly to rise or the belly to fall. We're waiting for the next sound. And there's very little friction in waiting. So if you've developed a meditation practice and you find yourself trying, stop it. Stop it right at that moment. And then begin again and find out what you can wait for in your meditation. Waiting for a breath. Waiting for a sound. Waiting for any experience. And then it, the friction diminishes, diminishes, diminishes. So now I'm going to teach the, um, the meditation that Buddha taught 2,600 years ago. And this is called following the breath. So what I'll do is we'll do following the breath and then I will explain to you what it is and, and how it works and why you're doing it. 
which isn't actually common knowledge uh, seemingly among meditation teachers for some unknown reason. So to follow the breath, it's very, very simple. Ideally, we're noticing the breath in the nostrils, but you can notice the breath wherever it's comfortable for you. So most folk tend to either prefer the breath in the nostrils or the movement of the belly, the breath in the belly. That's, those are the ones that people go for. The nostrils is ideal for a whole load of reasons. And all we're doing is noticing that sensation. Noticing the breath rising and falling. We're noticing the in-breath and the out-breath. The feeling of the air entering and leaving the nostrils. And then what will happen during that meditation, noticing the breath meditation, following the breath meditation, the mind will wander. And when the mind wanders, what happens is we bring our attention back and we're noticing the breath again. So the actual meditation only has four lines in the script. Notice the breath, mind wanders, return to the breath, repeat. Noticing the breath, mind wanders, return to the breath, repeat. And so, when you're sitting, provided you're comfortable doing so, to help your posture, best thing to do is place your elbows by your sides. So just placing your elbows by your sides will straighten your back. And then you're looking for the point at which the skull is most comfortably balanced on top of the spine. So you move, you move your head around until you find the point of maximum comfort. Because what comfort means is you're not using the little muscles around the back and sides of the neck. So that means that your skull's balanced. So elbows by the side, feet on the floor, skull balanced. And then provided you don't have a cold, if you've got a cold, you breathe however you breathe. Or as long as it's not uncomfortable, if it's uncomfortable, breathe however you breathe. But ideally, if you place your tongue up against the back of your top teeth, you notice you naturally breathe in and out through the nostrils. What I'll do is begin and end the meditation with a bell in the traditional way. And what we're doing is noticing the sensation of the breath. Of course the mind will wander, doesn't matter. When it does, when you notice 
that the mind's wandered. You just come back and notice the breath again. So we're noticing the breath, mind wanders, return to the breath, repeat. Practice this ancient technique for the next few minutes. It's called following the breath. Cool breath in, warm breath out. We're just noticing the breath. It's easy to get involved in the breath, you're causing the breath to happen. The relationship of the breath is that we're witnessing it, we're noticing it happen, noticing it rise, noticing it fall. Like sitting on the beach, watching the waves roll up, watching them wash away again. There'd be lots happening on the beach. And there we are, we're just watching the waves. Rolling up, washing away. And here we are noticing the breath, we're noticing the breath rising. And noticing the breath falling. Doesn't matter how busy the mind is. Doesn't matter if it's chattering. Doesn't matter if the mind wanders. The mind wanders a thousand times. We gently, patiently, compassionately return our attention to the breath a thousand times.
Just noticing the sensation, feeling of the breath entering and leaving the nostrils, the coolness and warmth, the rhythm and cycle of the breath. Breathing in, noticing what you can smell, what you can taste, the sensation of sitting, your feet on the ground, gravity pushing you down into the chair, and whenever you're ready, in your very own time, gently return your attention to the room. Okay, so one in every 20 people finds it stressful focusing on the breath. If if that's you, what what you need to do instead is what's known as a mandala meditation. So notice we're focusing on the breath, mind wanders back to the breath, mind wanders back to the breath. A mandala is something visual that we observe, we're witnessing it. So let's say uh, I found it distressing, focusing on the breath, Uh, stressful, stress-inducing. What I do is I select a mandala, I might choose a knot of wood. All I do is I focus my attention on that. I'm noticing it, noticing it, mind wanders. Bring my attention back to the knot of wood, mind wanders. Knot of wood, mind wanders. That's, that's the, the process. Now, the other thing is, is the modern mind constructs, and, and I don't think many mindfulness teachers disabuse people of this notion well enough, that the purpose of the meditation is to stay focused on the breath. It's not. We've chosen something really neutral with the breath. Nothing more neutral than the breath. You can't distinguish between good and bad breaths. It's neutral. The reason it's neutral is so that your mind wanders. And the reason we want your mind to wander is so that you notice your mind's wandered. That second, that moment, when you notice your mind's wandered, is called the moment of recognition. And what we want to do is repeat it over and over again. You're familiar with the moment of recognition already. Let me give you some, some examples. Have you ever walked from one room to the other? When you get to the other room, you've forgotten why you went there. You know what the answer is? Go back to the first room. 
have you ever been reading a book? And you get to the bottom of the page and you realise that although you've narrated all of the words, your mind was wandering so you didn't actually recognise or realise anything that you'd, you'd read. So you have to go back and read it again. That moment when you get to the bottom of the page, that's the moment of recognition. If you're a driver, you'll have, at some point or another, you've got into your car and you're on your way to wherever you're going, you're going along and your mind's wandering, you think, got to do this, got to do that. And then you look around and you realise you're going, driving in the wrong direction. That's the moment of recognition. Moment of recognition is the moment where something brings you back to now. Right? When we do the following the breath meditation... The purpose is to repeat the moment of recognition over and over again. Why? So that it becomes part of our daily experience. So we're walking along the road, mind's wandering, wander, 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 wander. And then our subconscious, because remember the conscious mind is in the mind wandering. We're in that place speaking to that person. We're having that experience. We aren't actually here. Look at a traffic jam. What you got is loads of people with their mind wandering. You know, they're sitting there and they're they're going like that, staring. They're in mind wandering land. And then the lights change, and or or, or so the cars start moving, and then there's everybody's moment of recognition, and they're back here, oh yeah, you know, and then they're driving off again. So, what we want to do is repeat the moment of recognition to bring us back to now. Why? Because now is when we get the choice about how to use our mind. Because when the mind's wandered, you probably didn't choose for the mind to wander, and you probably didn't choose where the mind would wander to. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been mind-wandering. It would have been structured thought. Structured thought is, I sit down, I'll do my tax return, I'll work out how to get a Romford, whatever it might happen to be. I've got these, one thought leads to another, and there's an outcome mind-wandering, whatever the biggest, most powerful emotion, emotional element of your life is, it's like a big magnet and it will draw your mind into it and there you are, over and over again sometimes. It can be very compelling and really unhelpful sometimes. And we want the choice. We want to choose. We want to be able to say, oh yeah, actually, I like this mind-wandering. There I am, back on that beach on that holiday again. Let's just go back. (laughs) Or, no, it's it's repetitive, persistent, unhelpful. And so we want to be able to choose. So that's the key, real, really important thing about the present moment, is we get to choose how to use our mind. We, We get to choose where to be. Whether we're here... Whether we go back to the past and ruminate over something that's happened, and sometimes that's a very worthwhile, worthwhile thing to do, because if something's happened, we want to learn whatever lessons it has. And in the future, if we're actually planning, then that's a good thing. If we're just going over various random imaginative scenarios, that's all right. But if that becomes repetitive, how, long, how much time do we really want to spend in the same random scenario in the future? Once we've learned whatever lessons that's going to bring, we want to come back to now. And the actual reality is, for those of us for whom 
recognizing that our mind has wandered is a common experience, most of the time we choose to stay here. Because actually this is where life happens. This is it. No two bites of this cherry, gone, gone forever. That moment, you'll never get it back. If your mind was wandering and you didn't realize what I said, you won't have got that little nugget of information. Very useful. I think it was John Lennon who said, life is what happens while you're doing other things. (laughs) Okay, so a bit of homework. And what the homework is... (laughs) You can, you can write it down if you want. It, at some point you need to write it down. So there is a, an element of the science of habit formation known as an implementation intention. And some studies have proven that it's a very valuable thing to do. So you don't have to do this now and you don't have to worry because... I'm recording this and I'll put it on the podcast so you'll be able to pick it up next week anyway. But what you ideally want to do is is write this down. So even if you stick it in your mobile phone now, write it down later. And what you write down is this. Each morning, when I wake up, I will do two minutes of the meditation of no meditation for sound. You you write that down. Each morning when I wake up, I will do two minutes of the meditation of no meditation for sound. And that's it. That's your homework. And it doesn't have to be the moment you get out of bed so you could say right I'll do it in the bathroom even better do it when you open your door yeah so you leave the house you're just about to leave the house in the morning or you know whenever you leave the house if you're on shifts or whatever and you do two minutes of the meditation of no meditation for sound and don't worry don't it, no, if, don't get stressy if that doesn't work for you because next week is the next part it's not it isn't a, this is going to work for everyone off you go and do it no we're all different the mind's different for everyone our experience is different and it worked differently for different people so this is just step one but a number of you I've got a number in my head will actually be able to initiate this at least for a week as a new practice. Two minutes of the meditation of no meditation for sound.